Welcome to the North Cross Sermons Podcast. At North Cross, we believe Jesus changes everything. To learn more about us and our ministry, visit us at northcrossmn.org. And be sure to check out the episode description for notes and discussion questions. When someone says, who do you think you are, or it's in their thought bubble and they don't actually say it, it means it's not a compliment. It means you've kind of overstepped your bounds and how you're carrying yourself. And of course, I have a moment like that. Only one, no, a lot of them, but this is the only one I'm going to share. Um, when we moved from Wisconsin to Colorado after we were first married, I had made a deal with James at Sears when we purchased our new refrigerator. We purchased it in Colorado, set up the contract, and then when I moved to Colorado, they were going to, from Wisconsin to Colorado, they were going to deliver it with their local delivery service. And free delivery, that appealed to me, that was 500 bucks. So when I get the refrigerator in Colorado, I look at the invoice, and now I owe them $500 for delivery. (laughs) Oh, no. So I don't know what it was, whether I'm, you know, new husband and I'm the man, so I got to stand up for our rights, or if it was the financial piece and we didn't make a lot of money and I didn't want to pay it, whatever it was, I was, I didn't use any naughty words, but I was very abrasive with the salesperson. James told me that I'd get, well, that's not our policy. Yeah, but he said, either way, I lost and then when I got home, my parents were there helping us move, so they were visiting. And I just, I couldn't get over this. I'm just on and on and on about how unfair it is, and I have rights, and me, me, me. And my dad, who is also, a, my dad is a very, you know, he, he likes to get what's right, what's coming to him. He always stands up for himself. He's, he's very confident. So even he took me aside and said, hey. It's not that big a deal. Calm down. So then I realized, okay, I had gone too far. So who do you think you are? Well, there's, there's two different ways you can handle stress and big issues in your life. And that's one of them. If you think too highly of yourself and you're arrogant, you kind of put God off to the side because you think you've got this. But then on the other end, you can think too lowly of yourself and be panicked and worried and freaked out, and feel like you can't handle it. And then that takes me to like third or fourth grade when I had to do a piano recital. I can't do this. How come I have to do this? It's not fair. My brothers didn't have to do it. Why do I have to? So I I couldn't deal. I was just freaking out about having to play piano in front of other people. And by the way, I don't play anymore because I never did get over that. Either way, when you're facing life and you're looking at the issues that are ahead of you, Who you think you are affects your relationship to God, and that's fill-in number one. Who you think you are falls short of who God has made you to be. For the last seven weeks, until the very end of last week's sermon, we have been focusing on Jacob as an example of how not to act. But God made an incredible change in him. And God changed him from being a deceiver who was arrogant and someone who thought too lowly of himself and was trying to, with all his anxiety, plan how he was going to face his brother Esau. He went from the deceiver to the embracer of God. And we get to watch all those changes in his life. And those same changes that God put into Jacob, he can also put into us. Um, So let's take a look at what happened 
when Jacob met Esau. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. And as we talked about last week, they, they were like soldiers. It was like his troops, his men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Whenever we deal something that's extremely stressful in our lives, we always imagine worst case scenario. And we think of all the horrible outcomes that could possibly happen, and very rarely when we're laying awake at night thinking about it, do we think of a happy ending. It's always worst case scenario. But in this case, I'm going to give it to Jacob. This, this was life or death. He really thought that his brother would keep the vow that he made 20 years earlier. As soon as dad is gone, I will kill you. So that's pretty extreme. That's pretty scary. So I understand why Jacob was stressed and panicked when he approached this. But now we're not talking about Jacob, deceiver. We're talking about Israel, embracer of God. And there's a couple of things that show the change, the drastic change that God made in him. At the very end of the section, it says, he himself went on ahead. So he set up his family in groups behind them, one to protect the other, but he himself went to the front of the lines, so to speak. The old Jacob, the deceiver, would have hid. He would have found some excuse to get out of it. He would have maybe not even had the meeting in the first place, sent messengers to take care of it for him, but he himself went on ahead. So God had instilled in him a courage because he trusted in God he went forward to accept what it was that he had to deal with. And the second thing it says is, he bowed down to the ground seven times before his brother Esau. So we were talking about a roughly a 90-year-old man, and they aged better back then, but still, he was 90. And it was, you know, you, you're wearing a long cloak, and it, it's, you know, you never, you never show your bare legs. You don't bow down in front of anybody, especially if you have a family and you have manservants and maidservants and wealth. For him to come to Esau and to just get down and lift up his cloak and to get down on his knees and to put his face down in the dust before his brother, incredible humility. And he didn't do that one time. He did it seven times. He bowed down, he got up, he walked a little bit further, he bowed down. This was a very visible show of humility. An amazing change in Jacob as he approached a very difficult situation now that he's clinging to God. So what are your things? What are your huge issues? Things in your past that are hanging around that you think you've gotten over? And then you wake up in the middle of the night and it's still there and you're still turning it over in your mind. Is it someone that has wronged you? Someone that you just can't forgive, you can't get over it? You can't deal with what they've done to you and you hope you never see them again? You know that God says in Romans that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So God will take care of it, it's not up to you. But there's a part of you that when God does take care of it, you really want to watch. Or are you the one who wronged somebody else? 
And maybe it was a 50-50 thing, but you're pretty sure it was more 51%, 49%. And you shouldn't have to apologize, so you don't. But it still bothers you because you haven't dealt with it. You haven't dealt with your guilt. You haven't dealt with forgiving the person you need to forgive. And maybe there's some other issue that has nothing to do with relationships or forgiveness. It's just this thing that's coming that you're terrified of and you don't know what you're going to do. So do you arrogantly just toughen up and go get it? Or do you panic and anxiety and hide behind it and not, and not trust God to get you through it? How do we deal with those things? Well, looking at what God did to Jacob, the change that God made in Jacob, he can also make in us, and that's our second fill-in. You have a past. You can deal with it with humility and courage. When Esau approaches Jacob, you see some unexpected changes take place. Verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him, then threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. The same God that had really worked in Jacob's heart and changed his life, well, that, over that 20 years, he was also working on Esau. And when they saw each other, it was an unexpected meeting. And this hug was pretty special. Are you a hugger? When you see people at church, do you give them hugs? Or are you more of a distant handshake, maybe a fist bump? Or maybe you're kind of somewhere in between. You do the bro hug, the, the grab the hand and the pat the back. Or maybe a little sidesies, you know, something subtle. This, this is deeper than that. This is the soldier who's been away for two years and sees his little boy for the first time. And every year at Christmas, they show those on the news, the, those surprise meetings. And I will cry every single time. It's just so powerful to see the, the wife or the child just embrace their father with all their heart. And that's what happened with this man who Jacob, his twin, thought wanted to kill him. And they meet each other and he ran and he kissed him and there was forgiveness. What an incredible scene and you look at how Jacob handled himself. It was so special. Verse 5. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. So this seems like kind of a no-brainer. Well, duh, you brought a whole group of people. You have a family. I have a family too. But it's not really that dumb of a question because they hadn't seen each other in 20 years and they left on terrible terms. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, where we'll cancel somebody's, you know, Instagram account or we won't open their Christmas letters. You know, back then they probably just stopped sending pigeons to each other and they wouldn't open each other's messages. They wouldn't listen to what was going on. They didn't want anything to do with each other. They kind of froze their memory of each other and assumed that that was just the same person that they left. So for him to say, these are all the children that God has blessed me with. It was like, oh, wow, yeah, you've grown up and you've got a family and things have changed and God has blessed you. But the way Jacob phrases it shows that the change that happened on the inside was coming out. He said, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. 
Jacob the deceiver would have said, this is the wealth that I have created for myself. I worked hard for years to earn all of this. But Israel, the embracer of God, says, these are the children that God has graciously given your servant. And he refers to himself as your servant. When Jacob stole from Esau, he didn't just take the family wealth. He also took the family name. He was the heir who was going to take over the family name and take over the family heritage, and he stole that from Esau. So it wasn't just wealth, it was also respect. So for him to bow down to him and to refer to himself as your servant is a big deal. Because internally, Jacob knew what he had done. And not only was he facing something that he was afraid of, but he was also facing the own reality of what he had done. He knew what he had done wrong and he embraced it. He owned it and he knew that God had forgiven him. So he moves on and he shows, he shows Esau, I, I am sorry for what I did and I'm going to show you that by my actions. The next fill in. When God changes you on the inside... It shows on the outside. Verses 8 to 11. Esau asked, What do you mean by all these droves I met to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? And again, using that respectful term, calling Esau my Lord. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. So Esau's like, why are you giving me all this stuff? I have plenty of stuff on my own. But again, it, it shows that outward change that Jacob had internally and now was showing him, I want to give you something. I want to give back something from what I took from you. And the wealth that he deceived to get, he doesn't care about anymore. He just wants to give it to, to Esau. He wants to give him his respect. He wants to give him his honor. He wants to give him that wealth and show him that he's truly sorry. And the phrase that he uses that's really touching, to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. When you mess up, when you mess up big, and you finally fix that relationship, and you have forgiveness, that's a pretty special thing. It's a life-changing thing that happens, and it, it fixes you on the inside too. And of all the stress that I ever deal with in life, the things that you know, really bother me and keep me up at night, everything is trumped when there's a problem between my wife and me. If I do something that upsets her, and I know that I did something to upset her, and either she isn't ready to talk about it, or she's just angry, or she's quiet. That, I can't deal with that. <laughs> it's just all I think about. I have all this stuff going on that I got to deal with, and this is the only thing I can think of. And so 
I'll, you know, do more things around the house, maybe make sure my socks aren't laying in the corner where it annoys her and make sure I clean up my dishes and do those things. All stuff I should have done anyway. But, you know, guys will joke around and say things like, well, yeah, the old lady's mad at me. Or, or will lovingly say, happy wife, happy life, as though, you know, they're this ogre and master that you have to serve. And the reality is, any time we get to that point in my marriage where my wife is just upset and won't talk to me, it's, it's totally my fault. I know. I know I'm doing stuff all the time that she's asked me over and over and over, and then I get busted, and so then, okay, now i got to deal with it. But it's my fault. I can't pretend like I have this difficult master to appease when these are things that I should have been working on all along. And so I want to take Jacob's example and take what God put into his heart and ask God to put it into my heart to, number one, have the courage to say, I messed up and I'm sorry. And to have the courage to fix it, to actually put the effort in to not get to that point again. And that also takes humility to be able to say, I'm not going to just find ways to blame this on you or blame my circumstances, but just to own it and humbly say, I've made a mistake and I'm sorry. And in your life, it might not be a spouse. It might be a close friend. It might be a sibling who you got into an argument with and you just, you don't want to see them. You don't go to family gatherings anymore. You don't want to deal with them because they just won't listen anyway. But how much of that issue is yours? Even if it's only 4%, and I think you're being generous with yourself, even if it's only 4% your fault, apologize for your 4%. Because when you forgive someone and someone forgives you, it's like seeing the face of God. So it bothers me more than anything when my wife isn't happy with me. But does it bother me that much when God isn't happy with me? Which is all the time. Unfortunately, it, it, it's, it doesn't. I don't think about it. Not because conceptually I don't, I don't care. It's because I just don't think about it. I'm not interacting with God in this, at the same personal verbal level that I am with my spouse that I live with. So it kind of is out of sight and out of mind. But really, whenever I sin against her or anybody, I'm sinning against God. Why doesn't it bother me more? It should. When I see news... Uh, newscasts about some celebrity or some politician where a, a photo or a video is leaked about some embarrassing, horrible thing they did in their past and now everybody sees it and then they have to do a press release to apologize and try to get out of it. And, you know, things that you did 30 years ago come up and creep up into your life and now you've got to deal with it. And, and for politicians, sometimes they even lose their position. Um, thankfully, I, I'm low profile. I'm never going to have to deal with that. But what if, when I get to heaven, before he lets me in, he pulls out a screen like this, and he runs a video of all the things I've ever done wrong while he's sitting there watching with me. And this video includes my thoughts. It includes horrible things I've thought about other people. It includes everything I've ever, you know, browsed on the internet when nobody's around. It includes 
every time I've been out with friends and got a little carried away, it includes everything. Every horrible thing I've said about people behind their back, and those people have no idea. They think we're really good friends, and I'm saying all these things, and it's all on the screen. And I look over, and I just see Jesus with a little tear in his eye. You know, there is no such thing as that video. That's not going to happen. When you get to heaven, God's just going to give you a huge hug. But he still does know all that stuff. And he sees it every day. He knows everything you've ever done. And so that's why we are constantly talking about take your guilt, take your shame, take your brokenness, and lay it at the cross. But I don't want your trip to the cross to be common and casual, like taking out the garbage on Thursday morning. I want you to lay your stuff at the feet of Jesus at the cross, and then I want you to look up. And I want you to look into his eyes. And in Jesus' eyes, you will see the anguish of his friends who left him at a time when he needed him the most. In his eyes, you will see the pain of the eternal suffering that he captured for us on our behalf all in that moment on the cross. And I want you to see the terror in his eyes as his father, who he loves deeply from eternity, forsakes him there and lets him suffer and lets him die. And then I want you to look past that and look deeper into his eyes. And I want you to see his compassion and his love for you. Because you were worth all of that to him. We are deeply, deeply loved and forgiven. Fill in number four. God dealt with all to equip you to deal with whatever it is. Verses 18 to 20. After Jacob came from Paddan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There, he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. At the end of this story, this part of the story, We've walked through the timeline of Jacob's life. We've seen the one who deceived to get what he wanted, the one who was deceived himself and lived a life of misery with Laban. We see the one who anxiously put together a plan to try to deal with Esau, and then we see him wrestle with God all night long and finally put everything else aside and embrace Jesus with all his heart and then you see the change that took place in his life and how he treats others, his humility and his courage. And at the end of this story, everybody leaves. He sends his family ahead. He sends Esau home and he's going to follow them. And he stops and he takes the time to build an altar and honor God and just praise him. In your life, as God makes these changes in you, have the courage and humility to deal with your stuff with God's help. 
and take time to just honor him and praise him and thank him. And at the end of Jacob's life, he finally knows who he is. Do you? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, there are so many times when I either act arrogantly or I act anxiously and have a hard time finding that middle ground. But that beautiful, safe middle ground is where I embrace you with all my heart and know that you will give me the courage to deal with issues that I can't handle on my own and you don't ask me to. You ask me to trust you and to deal with them and I know that you're gonna be with me. So give all of us that same courage and humility and give us all that understanding as you shape our lives to know that you are the center of our lives and that's where our success lies. That's where our comfort lies. In your name, amen.